Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Woohoo! Hey, I like the energy in here this morning. Um, yeah, I like the energy. My name is Peter Anderson. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. If you're new with us, uh, we are excited that you're with us. Before I, uh, I really start in, I do want to take a second to remind everybody, Pastor Jeff did a minute ago, that today is indeed Sanctity of Life uh, weekend. And uh, for those of you who are like, what is Sanctity of Life weekend? It's a fancy way of saying that today, all, uh, all around the world, churches today will stand behind the fact that we believe deeply that life begins at conception. And we believe deeply that those lives of the most innocent should be protected of all costs. And we believe that babies and children are the future, not just of this church, but the church as a whole. And we have a responsibility to stand for human life in the womb and care about that same life outside of the womb as well. So both of those things true are true. So we have a responsibility to these kids. We have a responsibility to these children. We need to do everything in our power to love them from the point of their conception to when they are on their deathbeds many, many, many years uh, from now. And so that responsibility to those who cannot protect themselves, we have that. And one of the most helpless uh, uh, are those people who have no voice. So while we're walking through this series on the different things in our statement of faith, I do want to make you aware we do not have anything in our statement of faith regarding what we believe about the sanctity of life, but this is something that we will not flex on. This is something that does not change as far as I'm concerned. This is doctrine. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we will pray for that at the end of service. You know, Pastor Jeff prayed about that um, as well. And if you're curious, how is it, what are some practical ways maybe that, that our church supports the sanctity of life? Um, one of the, the practical ways is some of our missions dollars goes to um, Crossroads Pregnancy Center. It's a, it's a crisis pregnancy center. It provides real practical tools and resources to moms um, who, uh, who have nowhere else to turn and don't know what else to do. And so um, we believe that um, we should leave that to the professionals. We are ha- more than happy to give spiritual guidance and spiritual help and that sort of thing, but we uh, intentionally outsource that piece of it to those people who are properly trained um, to do so. So um, all that to be said. So now I have to reinflate the room because I know that brings everybody down. It's a somber moment and all of that stuff. Um, we are continuing in our series called The Creed. We're in week four of our series called The Creed, and I've really been enjoying this series because um, sometimes preaching about the most basic biblical truths that we believe is actually more challenging than preaching on some of those texts that nobody goes into. Because if I go into those texts that nobody goes into, like preaching from Lamentations or whatever, I could say pretty much whatever I want. You guys be like, oh, cool, right? But when we teach about God or we teach about the Trinity, we teach about Jesus, it becomes a lot more difficult because the reality is, is we tend to have two different targets when we're in church, right? We have one target, those people who maybe are newer to faith or haven't yet come to faith, who are checking it out for the first time and, uh, and don't know a whole lot. And so that's, that's one section of people that, that I am responsible for teaching to. And then we have another section of people, those of you who, have been, who are in here who have been a Christian for the last 80 years of your life and have heard thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons, man, I got to try to teach you something new as well. And so as we're walking through these really foundational principles, it's been really fun to kind of try to meet that challenge. And so week one in this series, we talked about the Bible. 
And the reason we talked about the Bible, that was four weeks ago, the reason we talked about the Bible is because everything else that we believe has to stem from the Word of God. So if we can't get on the same page regarding what it is that we believe about the Bible, we're never going to agree on what we believe about the Trinity or God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or anything else like that. You'll see today in my message, it is Scripture heavy like we are just like we are going to be looking at scripture after scripture after scripture and so if you do not believe the same thing we believe about the bible you're going to feel like our evidence is kind of thin okay? but if you do believe the same thing we believe about the bible you're like man that's a ton of evidence so that's why we started with the bible right so we went the bible and then 2 weeks ago we talked about the trinity and if you're more confused now than you were then i think i probably did my job well um, and so we talked about the Trinity, and then last week we talked about God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and now this week, you could probably fill in the blank, we were talking about the second member of the Trinity, Jesus. And so, th- th- like, this is a fun one for me, because, hey, we get to talk about Jesus, but at the same time, you know how much the Bible talks about Jesus? Being able to pare this message down, so the good news is you guys will be out in time for um, the, the second football game today, which is about three o'clock this afternoon. So, um, just kidding. Anyway, um, so uh, I, I want you to imagine for a second, before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty of everything, that, that you and your family, maybe some of your friends, you're walking down the bustling streets of Hanford, right? I mean, really busy, 7th Street, I mean, packed, jam-packed full of people. And you're walking down, and, and all of a sudden, you see somebody with a camera and a microphone walking up to you, because that happens all the time in the, the, the epicenter, the Hanfordian epicenter of the world, right? And so they're coming up to you, and you can tell they want to ask you a question, and they hone in on you, and so you're getting nervous, your palms are getting a, a little bit little bit sweaty there, and you can tell he wants to ask you a question. You're like, great, what's the question going to be? Are we going to have to talk about politics? Like, is it going to be a political question today? I got to answer. We're going to have to, or maybe it's a good news thing. I get to talk about the 49ers winning last night, or like whatever, whatever it may, it may be, right? Um, and, uh, but, but you get nervous. You don't know what he's going to ask, and so finally this guy, he asks, he says, hey, I want you to answer for me, who is Jesus? And, and that's a hard question. Like if someone were to just come up to you, even some of you who have been Christians, those, those of you who have been Christians for the last 80 years of your life that I just referred to, that can be a difficult question to answer. That can be a hard question to answer. So the video camera, it's, you know, recording your discomfort. You weren't prepared for this. Um, and uh, now you're being quizzed on your theology while your family and friends watch from five feet away. Like that's an intimidating, maybe intimidating piece. And seconds pass and various answers maybe flash up into your, uh, your mental screen there, and you think, okay, well, he's a, okay, good man, maybe the son of God, maybe he's a, a I, I could say, prophet or a rabbi or a teacher of, of God's law or the, the embodiment of God's love, if you want to go with a hippie answer on that whole thing, or a reincarnated, uh, uh, a reincarnated kind of spirit master, maybe the ultimate revolutionary, right? I could talk about that, and that was the kind of the 60s Jesus, or maybe Maybe if I just recall back to when I was young and my grandparents would take me to church, I could say like Messiah or Savior or Son of God or, or baby born in a manger. Um, uh, you, you know, maybe I could say something like that. Like which answer would, would you give? Because there seems to be a whole lot of those answers. And so before you, you, you answer that, let me say that you can actually find people today that all of those answers that I just mentioned would actually be given. They would give you those different answers. Even after 2,000 years, we are still asking the question, who is Jesus? 
Actually, I think just a couple months ago, it was, I think it was Time Magazine, again, came out with another article on who is Jesus. It was on the front page of, the, of their magazine. I'm convinced Time does that just to retain Christian readers. Like, oh, wait, they talked about Jesus again. I think they're reprinting the same article from 1972 or something like that. But they're still answering the question or asking the question, who is Jesus? And if you're in here today, my assumption is, is that at some point or another, you have thought about that question. Maybe not in the same, the same sense of like asking literally, who is Jesus? Maybe it's something closer to, man, I, I really need to go to church. Or I wonder, I wonder what church is all about. I wonder what Christianity is all about. Or maybe you say something like, man, I really, I need to, I need to get my life in order. Right? And so while all of these questions really have nothing to do with Jesus, Jesus is actually the reason for all of these questions. And at some point, each of us have needed to face the reality of asking ourselves if we need Jesus or not. If you're in here, hopefully today is that day. Maybe you grappled with it years ago. Maybe you grapple with it every single morning. But I want you to, to think back to that moment for you of when you had to ask that question. Maybe it's today and you're sitting here thinking that you need some sort of change in your life. That you wake up, maybe you wake up frustrated, maybe your temper is short, maybe you're sharp with your spouse, you get frustrated with your kids and you raise your voice. Maybe your marriage isn't shambles, maybe your finances are dire, or maybe you're just simply like at the end of your rope. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna go check out church and that's gonna, I, like, if, I, if they can't figure it out, forget about it. Maybe that's not you today, though. Maybe, maybe you've already come to, to a saving faith in Christ. I think it's still important, regardless of where you are. Maybe, maybe you're, you are at the end of the rope, or maybe you're like, yep, I know exactly who Jesus is. I think it's important that we continue to come to terms with the fact that all of us are in need of having an understanding of our need for Jesus in our lives. And so regardless of where you find yourself, we need to keep answering the question, who is Jesus? Every single day we have to answer that question. It doesn't matter if it's a random reporter walking up to you on 7th Street or you asking that question in the quietness of your heart today. That question has to be answered. It has to be grappled with on some level. Jesus actually asks the same question of his followers. It's in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 16. It'll be on the screen. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Pay attention to the verbiage he used here. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So we have a, a, a bunch of answers here. There's a, you know, Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And there's a whole bunch of different answers up there, right? I mean, he, he talks about John the Baptist, who, which was strange because John the Baptist and Jesus were alive at the same time. So how does that whole concept work out? You're John the Baptist reincarnated, but you're already alive. They weren't using their critical thinking skills uh, but maybe people think he was a prophet, maybe a political, a political leader, someone to come to, to overthrow the government. So even in Jesus' time, even in a time when, when Jesus had hundreds of people following him and people were like, oh, he's going to be this person, he's this person. Like people couldn't even agree when Jesus walked the earth who he was. 
There was still dis- disagreement. And so I want, you, I want to be very clear. This is who we believe at FBH Jesus is. You can find this on our website under, under I'm new here. But it says, Jesus Christ, this is what our creed says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus was born a virgin, lived a sinless human life, and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He arose from the dead after three days to demonstrate his power over sin and death. He ascended to heaven's glory and will return again someday to earth to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. So that's great, right? I was like, yeah, they said King of kings. I'm in, right? Like well, <laughs> they use Bible language in there. Like, and so for the most part, we can agree with this. But even as we look at this, man, it looks like Jesus is wearing a whole bunch of different hats. Like who is this guy? Is he King of kings, Lord of lords? Or is he son of God? Like, like who, who is, he's born of a virgin, he lived a sinless human life. Like who, like who is Jesus? So even our statement of faith, while it provides clarity on, on who he is, it still looks like, man, this is more complex than just what, like, like a very simple, straightforward answer. And in modern culture, there's actually a whole bunch of different uh, versions of what people believe, right? So I want to give you a couple couple versions of who, uh, who people believe Jesus is. The first version is that, hey, Jesus was, he was a good man. People love this answer. Culture loves this answer. You would be hard-pressed to find somebody who, who, who like, you would, you would say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? That they would be upset about who Jesus is. No one ever has a problem with Jesus. People have a problem with everybody who follows Jesus, right? Like that tends to be the issue. Jesus is not somebody that people get upset with. People generally like him. And so honestly, most people, like if you were to ask any 10 non-religious people who Jesus is, eight of them would probably say something like, he was a good man who lived a long time ago, right? And that's, that's a fair answer for those people who do not know who he is. And people who say these things, they don't pretend to be Bible scholars in any sense of the word. And and, and they're not trying to be offensive. They are simply reflecting on the common wisdom that most of us learned when we were young. If someone asks you a question about someone and you don't know them, just say they're a nice person and they'll get off your back, right? Like, oh yeah, they're a good person. I don't know anything about them, but I heard he's good. Like I got presents for his birthday and I don't get presents for anyone else's birthday. So he's got to be a good person, right? And so that's, that's oftentimes what people say. When in doubt, say something nice. But of all the modern versions of Christ, this one is both the closest to the truth and the deadliest error. That Jesus was a good man. And we agree with that. Acts 10.38, it even says that he went around doing good. It's talking about him doing his miracles and that sort of thing. But to stop there, to stop there is to, is to miss the central truth of Christ's divinity. That he was a good man. Yes, we agree on that. But he was a good man only because he was also the son of God from heaven who came to be the savior of the world. If you miss the why behind it, you're missing the entire thing. Yes, he was a good man, but it was because of who he was. And that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing. Another modern understanding of, of, uh, of Jesus is kind of like the misunderstood rabbi. That there was this guy, you know, people who hold this view, they see Jesus as like this talented Jewish teacher, this smart, this smart man who never, he never meant to start a new religion, 
You know, they, they see him kind of as a, maybe a, a first century Martin Luther, for those of you familiar with the, the church reformation, right? That, hey, here's this guy that he sees some things wrong with the Jewish faith, and we're going to teach some things, we're going to try to correct some things, and whoops, I started my, my own religion, right? Like, my bad, didn't mean to do that, just trying to reform some other, other things. And people who believe this, that's fine, but they also don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but that his disciples believed that he was present with them after his death. So the legend of the resurrection arose kind of in order to keep the dream alive, right? Well, yeah, but we're going to keep this dream alive, even though he is actually dead and, not in the gra- or, or, and in the grave. Another version of Jesus we see oftentimes is the revolutionary Jesus, the one I said a, a few minutes ago. This Jesus was popular back in the 60s. Hey, this, was your, this was your hippie Jesus, where radicals kind of appropriated Jesus as the Messiah who, who came to overthrow the unjust power structures of the day. That these governments are corrupt and Jesus is going to come in with a sword and he's going to come in on a horse and he's going to take out these different power structure, structures in the kingdom through protest and nonviolent action. All right, so some theologians, they even use this image they use this image of, of revolutionary Jesus to, to support the, the establishment of different like Marxist governments around the world. Like that was, that was the viewpoint, that Jesus was a revolutionary. He was contrary, but not in the sense intended by those who use the term. Like think back to the Jews. The Jews, man, most of them couldn't stand Jesus. Because they, they had a, a, like Jesus, they had a different perception of Jesus than, than who he actually was. They thought Jesus was going to come in, like I said, sword and, and horse and going to overthrow the Roman government and the Jews are going to be in control now and that's what all of these different things mean. And the reality is, is that that's not true at all. Jesus came in and he was meek and he was mild and, and he got upset at the things that he needed to be upset with, but he never came to set up a new government. He didn't come to overthrow Roman rule. He came to, to overthrow sin in the human heart. Like, that's who Jesus was. That's why he came. And, and the most popular one, the most popular version of Jesus today is the universal Christ. This is an issue. The universal Christ. This is the option for people who like Jesus but don't want to worship him exclusively. It's like that guy who keeps asks, asking you on dates but won't put a ring on it, right? He's like, I mean, I like you, but I like all these other people too, right? Like, th- like that's, that's what's going on here. They, they kind of lump Jesus together with all the other notable religious figures, Moses, Confucius, Gandhi, Buddha, Muhammad, like all of those different guys, they kind of come up with a, a Mount Rushmore of religious figures, as you will, and they look up like Mufasa in the sky in Lion King and wait for one of them to tell them what to do, Right? Like, that's kind of that, that version. And many people see, like, this universal Christ. They like the universal Christ because it's a convenient way to call yourself a Christian but still seem open-minded to what everybody else has to say and not offend anybody. And so if, yes, I believe in Jesus, but that's my truth is usually the way that it comes out. And so that's my truth. Your truth can be something completely and totally different. Whatever it is that you want to believe is fine because we're all going to get to heaven someday. Well, if you believe in Jesus and you believe in God and you call yourself a Christian, those two things that you just said, we're all going to heaven one day and it doesn't matter what you believe and this is my truth, are contrary to one another. They don't work together. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, not through Muhammad, not through whoever it is that you choose, through me, period. And so that's a dangerous way to look at Jesus, this universal Christ. And so the only way for us to get kind of an accurate view, accurate picture of Jesus is to study the record of his life that we find in the Bible. So again, important for us to, to be on the same page regarding what it is that we believe about Scripture. So there's a bunch of really cool facts in there. And again, I had to leave a lot on the cutting room floor because there is a ton in here. But we're gonna, if you were to read the gospel, if you were just to read the Bible, not even just the gospel accounts, the entire Bible, you are going to see evidence of Christ the entire way. Not every verse talks about Jesus, okay, but you will find evidence about Jesus the entire way. Actually, Galatians 4.4, it starts, Galatians 4.4 is going to talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And that's what we're going to look at first, these, these different fulfilled prophecies of Jesus. Galatians 4.4 uses an unusual phrase to describe the moment of Jesus' birth. Some translations call it the fullness of time. That's King James Version. Sounds very epic, the fullness of time, right? The, new, <laughs> the NLT says the right time, okay? So whatever you want to do. But the right time, it refers to that one chosen moment in history when God arranged all of the circumstances perfectly so that his son would be born in just the right time, at just the right place, in the, in the precisely chosen, like, like everything was, was perfect. And it's not just talking about his birth, like that phrase, at just the right time refers to all the circumstances of his life, including his death and his resurrection. All of it was perfectly planned by God and also written down by his prophets. Pretty cool, actually, if you look, look back on it. The Bible predicts a whole bunch of really cool things about Jesus. Some of them are very, very specific, which are always the, the fun ones to look at. And so we'll look at a couple here. But the Bible predicted a bunch about Jesus. Here's, here's some of the highlights. Uh, Zechariah 9.9, it actually says that, that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. That's pretty cool. That he was gonna, he's actually entering in on a donkey. Very, very specific. Or, or Zechariah 11.12, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Very specific. I actually had a, a friend of mine after first service text message me and said, hey, the Pharisees should have known that prophecy. They should have given Judas 29 pieces of silver instead of 30, so they didn't fulfill it. Like, well, God's bigger than them. So, but very, very specific thing, Isaiah 53, 5, that he would be wounded and bruised. If you are looking for a, like the prophecy regarding Jesus dying, like how it is he was going to die, look at Isaiah 53. The language used in there is striking when you compare it to what happened in the gospel account. Psalm twenty two sixteen says that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Isaiah 53, 12 says he would be crucified with thieves. Psalm twenty two eighteen 18 says that his garments would be torn apart and lots cast for him. Zechariah twelve ten talks about his side being pierced. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So even the skeptic, as you're looking through these things, as you're reading through the Bible, these things are difficult to explain away. And these are only a few prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Like there's a ton of prophecies. Even the casual reader at some point has to admit this is either an amazing coincidence or it is the result of some sort of divine planning. Those are really our 
are two options. That God arranged all of these circumstances perfectly so that his son would be born in just the right place at just the right time. That's a prophecy piece. So, so if we're asking ourselves, who is Jesus? Okay, if there's a bunch of prophecies written about somebody and those prophecies have come true, almost all of them at this point in history, I should probably kind of perk up and ask myself, hold on, maybe this guy is important. Last I checked, any time that a prophecy about somebody comes true, like usually I should pay attention to that, not just in the movies. Right? And so, so here's, our, here's our next fact, is, is not just that there were prophecies written about Jesus, but Jesus makes some pretty bold claims about himself. And I think oftentimes we forget that these bold claims, like the things that Jesus is saying about himself, are incredibly important about what it is that we believe about him. Because if there's just some random person going around making bold claims about themselves and none of these things come to fruition, that's an issue, we're probably not going to, uh, going to believe that person. But Jesus made absolutely astounding claims about himself. Like if, if you check his words, you would see that either he is who he said he was or else he's a liar and he's a madman. And we'll get to that famous C.S. Lewis quote in just a second. But the people who say Jesus was a good man and nothing more have never read the Gospels. If that's, if that's somebody's takeaway, that Jesus was a good man, period, and they don't talk about divinity, they don't talk about what he did on the cross, they don't talk about anything else, they have not read the Gospels because you could never come to that conclusion if you actually read what Jesus said about himself. These are things that he said about himself. I mean, the most famous verse in all of Scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall never perish but should have eternal life. John 3 16 right? You know who said that? Jesus. Jesus said that about himself. He was like, hey, you know what? He, he tells everybody, hey, you want to get to God? Like, like I, I, you got to go through me. For God so loved the world that he sent me so that whoever believes in me, you won't die. You get to go be with God. That's a pretty bold claim about yourself. That he says, hey, you know what? You want to get to heaven? You got to go through, through me. He claimed that the angels obeyed him. In Matthew 13, 41, it says, the son of man will send out his angels. He claimed that he was going to be the judge of all men. He said that in John 5, 22, it says, the father has entrusted all judgment to the son. If you see somebody who's like, hey, you know what? By the way, I'm, gonna, I'm the one who at the end of your life, I'll be in heaven and I'm going to judge all of the things that you did. And he's not that guy? Like, he's a lunatic. Right? Can we agree on that? That Jesus is not a good person if he is not the Son of God. He's a madman. He says, he says that he claimed to possess all power in heaven and on earth in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all power in heaven and on earth has been, has been given to me. He claimed the power to forgive sin even. Right? There's this famous story in the Gospels. It says, it says, one day Jesus was teaching, and, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So Jesus is sitting there. He's healing people. You probably heard this story. There's a ton of people packed into this one tiny little house. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
They couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, two things. One, this guy's friends have a whole lot of faith because these four guys carried this paralyzed man all the way there. And not only did that, when they couldn't get him in, they're like, hey, let's, let's get up on the roof and dig a hole into this guy's roof and then lower in front of Jesus. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway, if I'm the homeowner, I am not happy with what just went down, <laughs> right? But beyond that, as this story continues to unfold, Jesus sits there and he, and he heals this paralyzed man. And the teachers of the law, they get upset about it. And not just because they healed him, not just because Jesus healed him, but because Jesus at that point forgives his sins. He's like, hey, not only am I going to heal you, all of your sins are forgiven. Take your mat and go. Like, get out of here. You're done. That power was resolved or or, or, uh, it it was for God, reserved for God alone. Jesus was like, hey, I can absolve all of your sins that power was, was for God. And then beyond that, he claimed he could raise people from the dead too. Pretty bold claim. Pretty bold claim, especially if we think, hey, he's just a good guy. He's just a good guy who claims he can raise people from the dead. You don't hear that sentence. So before we go any further, we have to come to the conclusion that these are, these are extraordinary claims he was doing. Like, what would you do if today, as you're sitting there watching Tom Brady lose... I heard some of you. It's the only time I'll ever root for an L.A. team because L.A. has yet to beat San Francisco in the last six meetings they've had. Anyway, regardless. So as you're sitting there, as you're sitting there watching the Buccaneers fold, right, and all of a sudden you get a knock on your door. Somebody comes up, and, and it's your neighbor, and you've known this neighbor for a while. You've seen him about. Maybe, maybe you know his dad or his mom. And they knock here, hey, I just want you to know um, I'm the son of God. And so if you want to go through, go to heaven, you need to come through me. You need to put your faith in me. And not only that, but when, when you die and you get up to heaven, I'm going to be there again. I'm going to judge you up there for all of the decisions that you have made here on earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you up there as well. And then I'm ultimately the one who's going to say if you get to come into heaven or you get to go uh, somewhere else. Like, if that person came to your door, you're shutting the door pretty quick. You are not inviting them in for chips and salsa. You are calling the police because that person is most likely a danger to themselves and probably somebody else, right? Like, like that, 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 that is lunacy. We would never believe those things, much less say, you know what? Hey, remember that guy who came to the door earlier? That was a good guy. We would never believe that. But Jesus routinely made these claims about himself. And so not only these claims, but Jesus, man, he had supernatural power. We talk about these different miracles that Jesus did all the time. When we walk through the book of John, right, we talked about all of these different, different miracles. But in the book of Luke, we actually have an account. You, you guys remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the guy who came before Jesus. He was baptizing people. And at one point, he tells all of his disciples, John the Baptist disciples, he says, hey, look, there's a guy coming. And that guy, like, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. That guy is coming. So John the Baptist, he gets captured because, surprise, surprise, the government doesn't like him. And they throw him into prison. And so John the Baptist starts hearing about Jesus, starts hearing about his ministry, starts hearing about all these different things, and he sends his followers 
to Jesus to ask him a very important question. This is what it says. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, listen to his reply. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus does not answer by giving them some extraordinary claim. Okay, this is a new piece of evidence for us. Jesus says, hey, look, you want to know if I am who I say I am? Tell them what you saw. Don't tell them what I said. Tell them, tell them what, or tell, tell John what it is that you saw. He listed all of the different miracles that he, had, that he had performed. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. So Jesus answering by listing these miracles. Jesus is explaining who he was based on those miracles. This is the evidence. So when it comes to us, we have to recognize that, that the miraculous is evidence of Christ's deity. And this, this section right here, this is why it's important for us to be on the same understanding about the Bible. Because I'm going to list a whole bunch of different miracles right now. And if you do not believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, you're going to have a difficult time with this section. Okay, but, but these are some of the miracles that Jesus performed. He turned water into wine in John chapter 2. He multiplied loaves and fishes in John chapter 6. He walked on water in Matthew 14. He opened the eyes of the blind in John chapter 9. He made the lame walk in Matthew 9. He cast out demons in Mark 5. He stilled a raging storm in Mark 4. And he raised the dead in John 11. This is evidence of who Jesus is. And he's the one who frames it that way. He's like, hey, you want to know who I am? John wants to know who I am. He wants to know if you should be waiting for me or if it's someone else, go tell him what you saw. Go tell him about the miracles that I performed. You want to know one of the reasons that, that I believe miracles still happen today, but oftentimes we don't see miracles necessarily in the West as often. I still think we do, but, but we don't see miracles as often in like developed countries. I think it's because the power of God has yet to be seen in some third world countries. So a lot of times when people see the miraculous happen, all of us have access to Bibles, right? All of us have access to church. You guys are saturated. I mean, your Facebook feed on Sundays is like church live stream, church live stream, church live stream, right? But people who don't have access to those things, they need to see the power of God. They need to see the miraculous. And so I think that things happen in third world countries. I think miracles happen more often in third world countries, not just because our eyes are shut to them more oftentimes in the West and explain them away however we want to explain them away, but I, but I also believe that the power of God needs to be seen more readily in those areas. So that's Jesus. That like the miraculous speaks to who he is. But then if you kept reading, you kept reading more and more scripture, you'd eventually get to the most important piece of evidence that we have regarding Jesus. You would get to a point in scripture where you'd say, okay, if this is not true, we can hang up Christianity and call it a day. Because the entirety of Christianity hinges on the empty tomb. All of it. If Jesus' skeleton is somewhere in a tomb Christianity is false, and all of us are fools for believing it. That's the reality. 
And so as you're reading through scripture, you have, like, like check the accounts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Burned out by the gospels, you're like, I've read all of those. Go open 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And when you do, when you look through those things, I believe you'll find four facts, four very important facts in the gospel narrative. One, Jesus was really dead, like really, really dead. Two, Jesus was buried in a tomb on Friday evening. Three, the tomb was empty on Sunday morning. And four, and probably most importantly, Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection alive from the dead. I say not, not most importantly in terms of our salvation, most importantly in terms of evidence regarding who Jesus is. That's incredibly important for us to be able to wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus not only died and was resurrected and, and the tomb was empty on Sunday morning, but hundreds of people saw him again. Not a couple, hundreds of people. If we were to deny the resurrection, then we've kind of removed the supernatural heart from the Christian faith. If you don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian in the true sense of the term. The entire Christian faith hangs on one fact. Jesus rose from the dead, literally, physically, bodily, and visibly. That's it. If someone ever came along and could prove beyond a shadow of the doubt that Jesus' body was in a tomb, like we should hang it up. All of it rests on that. It's the testimony of the empty tomb that forever sets Jesus Christ apart from all other religious leaders. They are dead. He's alive. And if all of that, all of that, those different evidences, and I know it's all from scripture, right? So it's all from Bible. So maybe, maybe you're someone who's like, you know what? I don't know if I believe everything that's written in the Bible. I don't know if I can wrap my mind around a man being swallowed by a big fish and being in his tummy for a couple days until he barfed him up on shore. Okay, like I get that. I get that that can be, so maybe that's you. So if all of that other evidence wasn't enough for you, before you make your final decision about Jesus, there's one additional fact to consider. When Jesus left this earth 2,000 years ago, he left behind a few hundred disciples in Israel. That's all Jesus had to show for his three years of work on this planet, his three years of ministry. A couple hundred people. Today, over two billion people bear his name. Billion with a B. Billion like Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Anybody get that joke? All right. I thought it was funnier in my head. But that tiny band of followers, that small group of people has spread to every nation on every continent. And thousands more people join into that every single day. To put matters into perspective, you know, more people in this generation, more people in this generation have come to faith than in the 2,000 years before this generation. So when you're considering who Jesus is, we have to take into account change lives. And if, we, and if we are failing to take that into account, then we are going to miss a massive piece of evidence for who Jesus is. And I'm not just talking about like my life or your life or, man, they used to do drugs. They met Jesus. They don't do drugs anymore. Like, like that transformation. Let's go back to the apostles. 
Let's go back to those guys who, who before Jesus met them, and they're a bunch of fishermen, there's a tax collector, there's like a religious zealot who wanted to overthrow the government. Like they were a mess of people. Like none of these guys is someone that any of you ladies would want to take home to mom because they, they either smelled or they were crazy. Right? And so, so Jesus takes these guys, he spends time with them, he invests in them, he tells them the truth of who he is, he makes outrageous claims, he performs miracles in front of them, he dies, he's resurrected, he hangs out with them, cooks breakfast with Peter, makes sure Peter knows he still loves him. And then after that, after all is said and done, after, after a while here back on earth, he ascends back into heaven. And those guys... It was 11 guys because we don't talk about Judas. Um, but those 11 guys, of those 11, 10 of them are killed for their faith. What would be the point? What would be the point of dying for this unless it were true? What would be the point of dying for this if it was just some extended metaphor that somebody came up with one day? What would be the point of, of Peter willingly getting crucified upside down for his faith because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way as my Savior? All those guys had to say was like, no, nah, just kidding. Just kidding. Like all of it, was, none of that was true. I take it back. It's, I'm sorry. And none of them did. The only other guy who didn't get killed, John, he got banished to an island. None of them recanted their faith. And the one who gave up Jesus immediately regretted it. So you're telling me that, that all of this evidence, plus the transformed lives of the apostles, which I truly do believe is the strongest evidence for having faith in Christ, that all of these things you need to account for as you are asking yourself the question, who is Jesus? We have to return to that, that foundational question. C.S. Lewis does a great job. In his, his famous book, Mere Christianity, it considers a, a, a super common viewpoint, and he concludes it all in this chapter called The Shocking Alternative, is the chapter. He, sa uh, he says this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say a man who is merely a man and said, that sort of thing, said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Great visual picture. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him or kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he didn't intend to. I love C.S. Lewis. I could have just read that and said amen and saved you guys half an hour. But if you're still unsure about Jesus, just go pick up a New Testament. You don't have one, we'll give you one. Go ask for one in the back. Go pick up a New Testament and make the claim for yourself. Because even as I read, I read this week, hey, pastors, just preach the word. I'm not interested in, in, in massive truth bombs or some like epiphany that I had about, oh my gosh, like I, all I'm interested in doing is preaching the word and the gospel can stand on its own. 
So if after all of this, you're still like, you know what? I don't know if I necessarily believe who this Jesus guy is. I don't know if I believe some of the things you said. Fine. Like, I'm not, uh, like, go read the Bible. It can, it can make its own case for Jesus. But the conclusion we have to come to at some point is who he is. And I'm not going to say, like, like, from here I usually say, and, and hey, and today, go and go change the world or whatever charge I give to you for the day, right? Today, all I want you to do is answer that question for yourself, is who is Jesus? Because actually, if we go back to that original text that we talked about where Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? You notice that, that as he's saying it, he says, who do people say is the son of man? And that's where they get all those confusing answers, right? Some say you're a prophet. Others say you're John the Baptist reincarnated, like all those different things. After he asks that question, after those answers, you notice his question changes. His question no longer says, who do people say that I am? His question changes to, who do you say that I am? So even today, if you're not interested in anything else that I had to say, you are still responsible for grappling with the question of who do you say that Jesus is? And that decision has long-term repercussions. That decision also has short-term repercussions. So for all of you who are like, you know what? I know who Jesus is. I've known who Jesus is for a really, really long time. Great. You still need to grapple with that question every single day. Because your point of view regarding who Jesus is will have implications for the decisions that you make every single day. And today, I'm just going to leave you with that. We're going to close in a second in prayer, and I'm going to leave you with that. Is I want you to grapple with that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for, for your willingness to come down to this earth to give us the example that you did, to fulfill the prophecy that you did, to establish the miracles that you did, to make the claims that you did, to rise from the grave like you did, to change lives like you continue to do. God, thank you for that. And Father, so today we, we grapple with that question is, is, who do we say that Jesus is? And God, I pray that, that that answer would be evident in our lives. That as we say, this is who Jesus is, we would enact that in every single space that we come into. That as we encounter people who don't know you, that they would recognize a difference because of who we say Jesus is. And so if you're here today, head's still bowed and eyes still closed. If, if, if maybe something today I said was convincing, or maybe, man, you're just feeling a, a tickle inside of your belly, and the Holy Spirit is like, it's time, you need to give your faith, you need to give yourself to Christ. If that's you, and today you want to make a profession of faith for the first time, you can just repeat after me and simply say this, Father A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that I sin and I need to repent of that sin. But B, I believe that you sent your son to die for me. I believe he came to earth and he conquered death. I believe that. And because of that, I get to be with you in eternity. 
But before then, before glorification, I choose to follow you every single day of my life because I say, Jesus, that you are Lord. God, I pray that you would burn that into us, that you are Lord, and we choose to follow you every single day. Father, we love you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.